The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. So I am back out on purpose to introduce our speaker for today. I'm really thrilled and honored to be able to introduce this gentleman who's going to be opening up the scriptures and sharing from God's word with our church today. Uh, Rob Hoskins is the president and CEO of One Hope. Uh, One Hope is this incredible organization based right here in South Florida that has reached over one billion children with God's Word internationally. This is a fantastic, amazing organization right in our backyard. And uh, you may have engaged with One Hope if you've ever used the Bible app for kids. You can get that on pretty much any platform. It's an excellent app to teach kids the Bible and through story teach them the gospel. The Bible app for kids was designed by One Hope in partnership with Uversion. So One Hope is doing incredible things all over the world and Rob gets the, the privilege and honor of leading that organization. He's also a missiologist, a leading strategist for the global church in strategizing what does it look like to do gospel mission in ways that bring glory to Christ and that are uh, efficient, effective and uh, outcome-based. And so we're just honored as a church that we would have uh, Rob come and share with us. And so would you just join me in giving a warm West Pines welcome to Rob Hoskins. Thanks, Justin. All right. Well, thank you so much. What a, what a joy to be here this morning. I was so thrilled when uh, Pastor Roby asked me to come, uh, especially because normally on a Sunday, I'm like, I have to fly somewhere to speak. And today I got to drive to church. That was like an awesome experience for me. So, and just uh, so enjoyed uh, just getting to know people already and what a friendly atmosphere, incredible presence of the Lord in this place. And uh, so uh, privileged to be able to share during this, uh, this season of visionaries. And uh, I, I heard that uh, Bob Barnes was here a couple weeks ago and Alan Platt was here last week. And I was like, oh great, thanks Roby for letting me follow those two guys. So, um, but he set the bar high. Um, but just to be able to share just a simple story of um, God speaking to our family and how this local story has kind of gone around the world has been something there was no way our family ever could have dreamed uh, would ever happen. And it's just a, a wonderful example of how God can use any of us that are, that are open and willing to hear God's voice this morning. And I hope that's what he does in each one of your hearts as you hear Um, what God's done in our lives and uh, what he's doing to reach children and young people all over the world. And there's there's not enough time to share with you all that's going on with One Hope. Um, I was grateful for Justin sharing a couple of things like Bible app for kids, but there's a lot more information on the table out there um, and some resources for you as well um, because it's not just about reaching kids on the other side of the world. How many of you know our kids right here in Broward County need Jesus this morning? And so um, I hope there's some tools there that can help you and that we want to serve you. That's our total vision is to serve the church, to serve you, to help reach your own children, the children of your neighborhood, and the children of uh, where, where, where you're living. And so uh, take advantage of all those resources. We have books of hope back there, and then also um, a book uh, that, that's called Hope Delivered, which I authored that um, shares a, some of the stories that uh, I'm going to share with you this morning. It just gives you a general idea about how children and young people around the world are, are, are coming to know Jesus. Uh, how many of you love God's Word this morning? Amen? Well, let's get right into it. Lord, I, I just pray that you will bless your Word this morning, Lord. I pray, Father, that you'll take uh, the words of the scripture, and that they would go deep into each one of our hearts this morning, Lord. 
Lord, we're, we're desperate for you in so many ways because of the condition of the world we live in, because of the situation that so many of your children are in around the world. And Father, the hope of this world is that that you would breathe on this church, that you would breathe on your children at this morning so that we, Father, could be a shining light of the good news of Jesus Christ. So we pray that you would do that and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight this morning, Jesus. Lord, we love you and we thank you for what you're gonna do in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we'll turn with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 22, and um, it's going to be up on the screen too, I guess, but uh, it's the last chapter in the Bible, so really easy to turn to. Revelation 22, and beginning in verse uh, 12, and it says, Behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and the beginning and the end. Blessed are those that wash their robes, or those of us that stay holy, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may go through the gates into the city. Now, I want us to see what Jesus is showing us here. He's showing us a walled, a gated city, and inside the gates of that city are all of those of us who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you've accepted Jesus this morning, you're not waiting for some future dispensation to enter the kingdom of God. If you've accepted Jesus, you are in the kingdom this morning. But then it says, on the outside, on the outside of this great city, see that with me this morning, are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I want you to see that with me. On the outside of this great city called the kingdom of God are all of those people who either have rejected Jesus as Lord and Savior, but also all those who have never once had an opportunity to know who Jesus is. They are on the outside of the gates of the city. They've not tasted what you and I have tasted. They, they, they haven't experienced the joy that we just experienced in worship. They haven't experienced the peace of God that each one of us has in our life. And if we believe God's word this morning, then they do not have the right to eternal life that we have. But I love what the next verse it says. It says, but I, Jesus, have sent my angels to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and the morning star. And the spirit and the bride. Who's the bride this morning? The church, us, that's right. And what do we say? We say come. And let him who hears say come. And whoever is thirsty and whoever is on the outside of the gates of the kingdom this morning, they are thirsty. Let them come. And whoever wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Um, I, I grew up as a missionary's kid. I actually grew up in, in Beirut, Lebanon, in the, in the Middle East. And then uh, my wife, Kim, is a missionary's kid as well. She grew up in Central and South America. And then we got married, and right from the beginning, we were so involved in, in, in missions and, and, uh, and then got involved with One Hope. And uh, since then, Kim and I have had the opportunity to, to, to visit about 180 different countries around the world. And in those countries that we have visited and the, and the backgrounds that we come from, Kim and I find that everywhere we go that people are exactly the same. Now at first it doesn't seem that way. You go into this new country, into a new culture, and sometimes just about everything seems different. You know, they're wearing different clothes, they have different customs, they speak different languages, uh, they eat different food. 
I remember I was in a, a place called Madagascar, which is an island off the coast of Africa, and I was, I was conducting a, a, a One Hope uh, campaign, and, and after one of the meetings, um, one of the pastors, the national pastors came to me, he said, Brother Hoskins, would you come to my house for dinner tonight? I said, yes, I'd love to. And so I made my way over to his house and his wife had prepared this big meal. And I sat down and I began to eat what was on my plate. And as I was eating this one particular dish, I was thinking in the back of my mind, this is the worst chicken I have ever had in my life. I mean, it was sort of tough, it was hard, it was, it was kind of like sinewy. I mean, every bite I took, I was like biting through nerves to try and get it down. So I started analyzing a little bit closer what was on my plate, and as I did, there were certain limbs there that I didn't recognize. These were not parts I had ever seen on a chicken before. And so I said, Pastor, I said, is this a, a chicken or is this rabbit that we're eating tonight? He said, oh, no, brother. He said, you be eating baked cat. And I thought, I'd be losing it all over your dining room table right now. I mean, it was bad. It wasn't that bad. It just tasted sort of frisky, you know? I mean, the... <laughs> wow, I'm getting a lot of nasty looks from the cat lovers <laughs> in the crowd right now. You're going to talk to me after the service, probably. But, but some of you know what I'm, if you've traveled, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you go into a new country, into a new culture, everything's different, your stomach's churning around, your head's spinning, you know, you're wondering if you're going to survive. But after you've been there for a while, and, and after you begin to build relationships with people, you realize they're exactly like we are this morning. They have the same needs, the same desires, the same hopes, the same expectations for their lives that, that you and I have. And, and Kim and I find that it's especially true about children and young people. Everywhere we go in the world, they are the same. And as our world grows smaller and smaller, which it's doing every day, because of transportation and education, communication, technology, our world is growing smaller. And as it does, there is a youth culture that is exploding around the world where, where young people are becoming more and more alike. I don't care where I go on the planet. I mean, I can be in the bush of Africa and a, you know, in a jungle in Central America and Siberia. The, these kids, they're listening to the same music. They're watching the same movies. They have the same heroes. And the youth culture that they uh, most emulate, that they look up to is like, guess which youth culture? Ours, right here. Our Ameri that's right. Our American youth culture is held up as the role model and is the example for the rest of the young people of our world this morning. Does that scare you a little bit? <laughs> I hope it does. For, for, for us to realize that the youth of our world, in many cases, are following ours down a road. In many cases of, of, of moral destruction and lostness, the likes of which is unprecedented. I mean, we brought up this generation to believe that they have to go out there and experience life. That's hedonism. They have to go out and try and find that one thing that will satisfy their, quote, individual needs. That's, that's humanism. And we brought up a generation that has experienced and experimented probably more than any generation to come before them, and yet in many cases, they are the most hungry and thirsty generation in the history of humanity. Because no matter what it is they fill their lives with, it's, it, it's not enough. It's like a vacuum inside. It sucks everything up, but it still leaves you empty because there is only one single solitary thing in this world that satisfies, and that is the good news of Jesus Christ. And that really, in a nutshell, is what our ministry is all about today. It is about taking the only thing in this world that satisfies, the good news of Jesus Christ, 
and making it available for everybody on the outside of the kingdom, including the nearly three billion people this morning who have never once had an adequate witness to who Jesus is. And it was this passage of scripture that my dad was, was, was praying about in the book of Revelation, and, and, and it was, we were in the, city of, uh, in the city, and the Lord told him one day as he was praying, he said, lift up your eyes and look over the walls of the city of God. And, and dad said as he did, he, he saw something he'd never seen. He saw lost humanity. He saw three billion people as far as, as I could see. But for the first time, he saw children and he saw young people. And he saw how the enemy was fashioning his weapons of warfare against the next generation more than ever before. You see, Satan is not omniscient. He doesn't know the future, but he knows if he can capture the heart and mind of young people that he can have them forever. I'm sure you know as Christians this morning, 75 to 80% of all believers accepted Christ before the age of 18, most of them before the age of 14. And after that age, the chances of them ever accepting Christ begin to drop dramatically. And so Satan uh, forces, his, 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 he, he marshals his, his, his demonic forces against the next, and dad saw this prophetically. He saw how, how through uh, pornography and drugs and alcohol, he saw teen pregnancy, he saw, he saw child soldiers, he saw uh, human trafficking of children, and he saw all this, and it, this was 30 years ago, and he even saw like kids watching pornography on their hand. Well, he didn't know what that means, but it means on mobile devices today. And now we see that, you know, I mean, just 15 years ago, the average 12-year-old only had about five or six exposures to hardcore pornography. Today, the average 12-year-old has over 1,500 exposures to hardcore pornography. You see, the intimacy is targeting the next generation as best as he possibly can. And my dad saw this, his heart was broken, and he just began to cry out to the Lord. He said, Lord, what am I seeing? And, and what do you want me to do? You see, that's where vision, as a visionary, starts. It starts with a broken heart for the things that break God's heart. And he said, Lord, and the Lord said, the only thing that will overcome these lies is truth. And my word is truth. I want you to take my word and I want you to give it to every child in the world. When the Lord shared that with my dad, he was just overwhelmed. He called me, I was in seminary at the time. I remember I came home and, and dad would just be walking in the mall. He'd see a kid, he'd just start weeping because God was breaking his heart for kids. And as, as a family, we began to pray and say, Lord, how could we give your word to the children of the world? And the Lord spoke to us and said, you'll reach the children of the world and you'll do it through leaders. And so we didn't know exactly what that meant, but, but we had a Spanish publishing house and we were producing Bibles in Spanish. So we decided to take our best leather-bound Spanish Bible and send it to the top 50 leaders of every country in Latin America, to the president, the vice president, the head of education, the leading military people, the leading business people. And inside of that Bible, we just put a simple letter. We said, this Bible comes to you from friends in America. We're concerned about you. We're concerned about your nation. We believe this is God's word. We believe it is the hope for you, the hope for your nation, the hope for your children, and we are praying for you. And incredibly, these world leaders began to respond. They began to, to, to write to us. They began to, to contact us. We got a letter uh, from, from, uh, uh, from, from the Minister of Education from the country of El Salvador. He wrote, he said, thank you for sending me this Bible. He said, I've begun to read it. And he said, I now believe that it is the word of God. He said, I am responsible for the children of my nation. Our country is in the midst of a horrible civil war. And it's the children that are suffering the most. 
And then he asked us a question. He said, would it be possible for you to provide a Bible for every child in the public schools of our country? Now, I don't know about you, we got kind of excited about that. I mean, here we live in the States, our kids can hardly take a Bible to their school anymore. And here, here was a minister of education asking if we would come and give the word to all the kids in all the schools. Well, well my dad's a very excitable guy. I mean, he, he took that letter and he read it out to our whole office and he was literally jumping up and down and shouting and going crazy. And, and he, he turned to his assistant, he said, send that, man a, send that man a fax and tell him we'll send a Bible to every child in El Salvador. And he continued to shout and jump around, and dance around. Secretary came back in, she said, brother Bob, how many kids are there in El Salvador? He said, I have no idea. She said, I think you better find out. We just promised them all a Bible. We found out there were 986,000 kids in that country. Wow, yeah, except we weren't laughing. I mean, because we didn't have, you know, the half a million dollars we needed to send them all. But how many of you know when God puts a vision in your heart, he'll always make a way for his people. He will always make a way. He'll always make a way because it's his vision. It's his, and so we said, Lord, is you help us? And then we thought, what do we want to send these kids? You know, you send the kid big black leather Bible. I mean, that's pretty intimidating. I mean, for adults, much less a little kid. You know, you start out in Genesis. That's a good story. But then there's some pretty weird stuff going on in Adam's family. And then there's, you know, God says, go in the village, kill everybody, men, women, boys, and girls. You know, I mean, this is hard stuff for theologians, much less a little kid, you know. I mean, uh, what do we want them to know first? We wanted to know that God had a plan for his life, that he created them, that Jesus loves them. And so where is that? It's found in the Gospels, the good news. And so what we did is we just took the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, we harmonized them, put them in chronological order, took out the chapter and verse so that it read straight through like a story. The most exciting story there's ever been. I mean, what's more exciting than the story of Jesus? You know, we have heard the story so much. We've almost grown callous to it. We've grown used to it. But for someone who's never heard it before, it is the greatest story of a loving Heavenly Father who created us for a reason and a purpose, who sent his own son so that we might have life and have it abundantly and eternal life. And, and so we, we, we put it all together and we called it in Spanish, El Libro de Vida, what became the book of hope. And it, it's an amazing story how, how God began to touch people's hearts when they heard about this opportunity and, and people like you began to respond. And we printed our first one million copies of the book of hope. Now this is just one copy, but I want you to try and imagine what a million of these look like. I mean, it would, it would more than fill this, by far, this building um, from, from top to bottom. It was nine 40-foot sea containers, 256 tons of God's Word. How many of you know there's a little power in 256 tons of, of God? You know there is. And so, so we, 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 put it, uh, we brought it down here to Miami and put it on a ship. It went to Guatemala. We had nine tractor trailers waiting. They went overland into El Salvador. We had, we had told the church, we had mobilized the church, uh, and, and the government had said, we can hand out these books for you. And we said, no, 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 we want to do that because we believe that the local church is the, is the hope of the world. And so we, the church was ready. They had a letter from President Duarte giving them permission to go into every single public school in the country. And in the midst of a war, the church went out. They began to go to every, they went everywhere. They went up every hill, they went down every river, they went into the city, they went into the jungle. And as they began to give out God's word in those schools, an amazing thing began to happen. The principals, the teachers began to ask them, is this all you're gonna do is just give the book to the kids? Can't you tell them what's inside the book? And your brothers and sisters in El Salvador had the chance not only to give God's word, but to stand up in every public school, proclaim the name of the Lord, give their testimonies, give altar calls to an entire generation of young people in the nation of El Salvador. Can you say praise the Lord with me this morning? I mean, you know, God, God gives, us a, he gives us a vision, 
But we see such a small part of it. What does his word say? He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you and I could even dream or imagine. And that's what we saw in El Salvador. Most of these kids in that poor country, this was the first book they owned that they could take home with them. And, and grandparents began to read it to little children. Young people began to, to absorb, they began to follow the, our teams to, to the church. The whole nation was infected with the word of God. Now what happens when a nation receives the word of God? You know what's going to happen. God's word promised us what would happen. Wherever we are faithful to preach his word, to proclaim his word, to publish his word, what does he say? He said that word will never return unto him void. It would always accomplish the task for which it was sent. And that's what we saw in El Salvador. Such a response to the gospel. So many children and young people coming to the Lord. We said, Lord, if we could do this in El Salvador, why not in, in Guatemala? Why not in Argentina? Why not in Colombia? If in Spanish, why not in French and Portuguese? In Tom? Why couldn't we do what you said, Lord? Why couldn't we take your word in the most simple form possible and give it to every child? And God began to stir that, that, that vision in our, in our hearts. 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave us the command, you go into all the world, you preach this good news. And yet 2,000 years later, people are still waiting. I remember a prayer my dad would pray when we were in the Middle East as missionaries. Oh God, open the door. And what we saw is God is, is willing to open a door. You see, the problem with our world being reached this morning is not open doors. God's out in front of his church. He's, he, he, he's waiting for his church. And these world leaders began to, President Pinochet in, 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 in Chile contacted us after he hap, heard what happened, asked us to come, and then the President Daniel Ortega in Nicaragua. You say Pinochet in Chile, wasn't that guy a fascist dictator? And Ortega in Nicaragua, isn't he a, isn't he a communist, you know? Would you go meet with fascists and communists? Hey, we'll, we'll meet with fascists, we'll meet with communists. We'd even go meet with the members of the Supreme Court of the United States if we thought it would help get Bible back into our schools here, right, in, in, in America. And suddenly, suddenly God began to open these doors, doors we never dreamed would, would, would ever open. We, we found that with 10 languages, we could reach nearly 60% of the school children of the world. We found with 20 languages, we could reach nearly 90% of the school children of the world. You see, within our lifetime, um, there has been a reversal of the Tower of Babel. More and more people are speaking fewer and fewer languages. Now, I could take all morning and talk about why that's happened, politically, economically, socially. I'll make it real easy. It's happening for one reason. It's happening because King Jesus is working everything in this world system so the message of his good news can be made available to every person that's on the outside of the gates of the kingdom of God. God is at work. God is moving. God is opening doors. And, 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 and we took that list, uh, that list of 10 and 20 languages, and we, we, we began to prioritize. We thought we were really smart. You know, we prioritized that list, and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, we put all the easy languages up at the top of the list, and all the impossible languages, you know, the Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, communist countries were at the bottom, you know. Uh, how many of you know we make our list and God makes his list? And they don't often look an awful lot alike, do they? I mean, God blew our list out of the water. Suddenly, places we never dreamed began to open their door. I, I, I remember I, I found myself in the office of the Minister of Education for the former Soviet Union. I mean, Russian was way down at the bottom of the list, but God began to touch our hearts, and, and, and he began to speak this vision, and, and here I was. And, and this, was, this was still when there was an iron curtain. You remember the evil empire, the Soviet Union. We had pastors in prison for even owning one copy of God's Word. And here I was sitting in, in this in the office of the Minister of Education, and I was sharing with him about the Book of Hope and what it was doing for kids in other countries. He stopped me. He said, excuse me. He says, do you know where you are? 
He says, this is the Soviet Union. He said, for 70 years, we have taught our children and our young people to believe in something that no longer exists. We have the highest alcoholism rate in the world. The average Russian marriage will only last two and a half years. The average Russian woman will have two abortions in her lifetime. He says, that's the moral condition of our country today. But he said, something new is coming to our country as we open it up. And it is coming from the outside and we are not ready for it. He said, everything is going to come in from the West. All of your movies, all of your music, all of your drugs, all of your pornography. And he says, we are looking at the greatest moral catastrophe the world has ever seen. He said, if what you're telling me is true, if this book can bring some hope and some answers to our children and to our young people, we welcome it into our nation. And I walked out of his office with a letter of permission to give the book of hope to every school child in the former Soviet Union. 62 million kids. Does God know how to open a door? You see, he can open any door. He can open any door. He, he's out in front of us. He's opening doors. And I don't have time this morning to share with you, but, but today One Hope is, is in nearly 180 countries around the world giving away because God is serious about his great commission. He, he is more brokenhearted for those on the outside of the city than you and I. And then you might say this morning, well, well if that's the case, then, then why are there so many still waiting? Some might say, could it be that those on the outside of the kingdom are lost this morning because, because that's their desire? That even if, we had, even if we had the ability to reach them this morning, that they would reject him anyway, and that's why they don't know. I'll never forget uh, one of the first schools I, I went to in Russia. Like the communists always do, they like to show you their best face first. So they had taken us to one of their elite schools where they had their best teachers, their leading students. Members of the press were there to show this new glasnost, this new openness. And we were going uh, classroom by classroom, and, and the principal was with me, and we came to one classroom, and she said, Mr. Hoskins, in this class, I not only would like you to give the book to the children, but she said, I would like for you to share the story of Jesus that's inside the book. And she said, you have five minutes. I looked at those kids and I thought, Lord Jesus, how in five minutes can I share your story with these kids who've been taught their entire life? Jesus doesn't exist. God is a lie. Christianity is a myth. This book is a fairy tale. How many of you know God can do more in five minutes than you and I can do in a lifetime? The communists tried to build for 70. I, I stood up in front of those kids and I, I just began to tell the story of Jesus in the most simple way I could. And their teacher was translating for me. She was an English teacher. She was also a consummal leader, which means she'd been sent there to indoctrinate these kids in atheism. At first, she was translating so boldly what I was saying, but after several moments, her interpreting kept getting slower and slower. And so I, I, I turned to see what was wrong, thinking, she's angry. She's having to interpret these things she doesn't believe. But after several moments, she took her hand and she put it on my arm. She said, sir, she said, I'm sorry, I can't continue. I need to know right now, when school is over, what church do I go to? What man do I speak with so I can accept Jesus in my life? And tears were just streaming down her cheeks. I said, ma'am, I said, you, you don't need to go to a church. I said, you don't need to speak to a man. I said, if you want to, right here, right now, you can accept Jesus in your life. A smile broke across her face and she began to speak to her kids in Russian. She, 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 she was talking back to them. She turned to me. She said, the children want to know, can they accept Jesus or are they too young? 
I said, no, if they want to accept Jesus, have them stand to their feet. And 32 out of 32 12-year-olds stood to their feet in the center of Moscow and bowed their hearts and gave themselves to their Savior, Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. You see, why, why does that happen? Because, because they are hungry on the outside of the kingdom. What does it say? Does it say they, 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 they perish for a lack of hunger or they perish for a lack of thirst? No, it says they perish for one reason. They perish for a lack of knowledge. They are lost this morning not because they don't have a desire to know. They are lost because they've never been given a chance to know who Jesus is. The problem with our world being reached this morning is not hunger and thirst. I've never been to a nation of the world where I don't find people that are hungry to know who Jesus is. It's not just true about the other side of the world. It's true about people right here in our neighborhoods that are on the outside of the kingdom. They have never tasted that living water. They are thirsty to know who Jesus is. The problem with our world being reached is not, is not hunger or thirst. The problem's not open doors. You, you say, Rob, what, what's the problem? The doors are open, people are hungry. Why hasn't the world been reached? Why are there still so many on the outside of the, of the gates of the kingdom? Some of you might think, well, that's why Rob's here today. He's here to challenge us and, and so, that, so that this church would give, so that we could reach more kids with, with God. Maybe it's a financial problem. Maybe, maybe the church is at some economic crossroads we can't get through. If we, if we only had more resources, if we only had more money. I remember I was, I was in Brazil. We were meeting with President Colar de Mello, who is the president of Brazil, and we were asking permission to distribute the Book of Hope in the slum suburbs of Sao Paulo, about a million street kids there. And, as we were sharing the vision, there were some other men there with the president. One of them raised his hand. He actually stood up. He said, I'm sorry. He said, I must tell you I am not from Sao Paulo. He said, I am the, I am the senator from Rio de Janeiro. And he said, I must insist, if you bring this book to Sao Paulo, you must also bring it to Rio. And another man stood up. He said, I'm not from Rio or Sao Paulo. He said, I'm the governor from Belo Horizonte. And he said, if you bring this book to those cities, you must bring it to our region for all of our children and all of our schools. And the president said, well, you know, they're right. We have freedom. We have equal access in this country. So he said, if you bring the Book of Hope to Brazil, you must bring it for all of our children and all of our schools. And I said, well, how many kids do you have in your schools? I'd learned to ask that since El Salvador, by the way. <laughs> the president said, we have 32 million in our schools. Whew. My dad and I flew back here to Florida, and, and I remember the next day I, I, I went into my dad's office, and he was laying on the floor, prostrate before the Lord, praying, crying out to God. And this, he was just praying. And what he said to the Lord is he said, Lord, he said, this thing has gotten way out of hand. <laughs> Don't you love it when it gets out of hand? And what he said to the Lord is he said, Lord, you know, when it was a couple thousand here and a couple thousand there, we could handle it. And he said, as soon as he said, we can handle it, God's spirit fell on him. The Lord said, we can handle it. He said, listen, buddy, you couldn't handle it when it was a couple thousand copies. He said, this is my vision. This is my burden. This is my work. And he says, you know, do you think I'm staggered? You think I'm staggered by, by 32 million copies? At the time, it, 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 only cost us, it only cost us 33 cents to get God's word in the hands of a kid anywhere in the world. That's a good deal, isn't it? But you don't need to be a great mathematician to figure out that's more than $10 million for Brazil. Lord, you, you think I'm staggered by $10 million or, you know, Russia, 20 million or, you know, 50 million or 100? Where exactly do you think my stagger point is? I'm God. 
I created this whole thing. It's all mine. It's, it, 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 it all belongs to me. And he said, Bob Hoskins, I demand one thing of your life. And friends, if you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this this morning. He said, I demand one thing of your life. He said, I demand a pure heart and a pure motive. He said, if you can keep your heart and your motives pure, then I can keep using you. Have we seen the devastation of impure motives in the church? And I, I remember from that day, we, we started praying a different way. I, I remember I used to pray for money. I'd go to a country, we need 1.2 million books. Oh God, we need $400,000. Oh God, 400,000, just in case you didn't hear me. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, it's ridiculous. He has all the resources. But now every time an opportunity comes, every time a door opens, I do the same, our team does the same thing. We, we come before the Lord. We say, Lord, keep our heart pure. Keep our motives pure. Lord, keep my marriage pure. Keep my kids pure, Jesus. And you know, from that day, we have not lacked for anything. That the Lord has provided above and beyond what we ever could have dreamed or imagined. This year, we'll reach, one, we'll, we'll reach a milestone of 1.5 billion children who have received God's word. This year, 114 million children will receive God. There's no way we could have ever done that. Only God can do that. But friends, God can do anything. No matter what vision he puts in your heart, where God gives the vision, he will provide the provision. That's his promise to you. The problem with our world being reached this morning, friends, is not money. There is more resources. There is more resources in the pews of our nation that we could reach this world 10, 20, 30 times over. God has blessed us. You see, our problem isn't money. Our problem isn't resources. You know, I, I remember I was driving to work uh, one day, and I, I live over near Coral Ridge, and, and our offices are in Pompano, and it's just a short drive about a 10-minute drive to work every morning. And, and, and when I drive to work, I just turn off everything, and I just spend time in prayer, and I was, just, I was just praying on the way to work. And I stopped at a stoplight, and as I was sitting there praying, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me, and he said, Rob, I want you to take a right turn. And I said, okay, Lord, take a right turn in my work, in my ministry, in my marriage. And the Lord says, no, stupid, just take a right turn at this light. Just turn right right here, you know, this is... Great visionary, you know, go right. So, so I turned right, and I found myself in a neighborhood I'd never been in before. It was right across the street from our, from our, from our office. I found out later the neighborhood was called Avondale, and it was one of the seven most at-risk neighborhoods in Broward County, I found out later. Crime and violence, and, and it was on that morning the Lord just, just set me up. As I was driving along, this, this uh, transvestite prostitute walked out in front of my car. I had to slam on my brakes. I saw a drug deal go down that morning. I saw kids that should have been in school that weren't in school with single moms. And I just pulled my car over to the side of the road. And here was this neighborhood right across the street that I had never seen before. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you're reaching kids all over the world and you don't even see these kids that are right here in front of you. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. And I was just, I was just weeping and crying. And I went into the office. I called everybody in the office. I said, guys, we've got we've to reach out to this neighborhood. Friends, there, there are people all around us this morning in our neighborhoods, in Broward County, who are desperate to know the good news of Jesus Christ. And there are open doors that he's waiting for you to just walk through. If you'll just walk towards those open doors, he will fling them open so wide. And there are people on the other side that are hungry and thirsty to have the living water that you and I have this morning. And guess what? As you do that in faith, God will give you more than you need. 
more than you need. I mean, he will provide you everything you need, not just money or finances or resources. He'll give you boldness. He'll give you the right words to say. He'll give you everything you need. You see, the problem with our world being reached is not open doors. It's not hunger. It's not resource. The problem is the same as it's been for 2,000 years. The problem is obedience. And if we will be obedient, we will see God do exceedingly abundantly. That first drive, taking that right turn in my life, taking that right turn right there into that neighborhood was about 10 years ago. Today we see Avondale thriving as the churches have gotten involved in that community. Right in, the, right in our global headquarters, nearly 500 of those kids come to school in our building. Of the 700 kids in Avondale, 500 of them are right there in our building. God can do it. I think I learned obedience for the first time in my life in the city of St. Petersburg in Russia. We, we were there with a team of people like you, and we, we, as I said, we had permission to be in the schools, and, and, and we, were, we were handing out the books of hope. And, but, but it was a holiday, and so one day the schools were closed. And so I went to George, this Russian pastor we were working with, and I said, George, what are we going to do today? He said, I've organized for you to go into the children's hospitals. So we began to, to go into these uh, children's hospitals, and what we saw there would just it would disgust you this morning. I mean, we saw them wrapping these kids with dirty bandages. They were using syringes 20 and 25 times a piece. And, and we, were, we were praying with these kids and we were telling them how much Jesus loved them. We were giving them God's word. And we'd done it in two of these hospitals and we got in the bus and we were headed back to our hotel. No one was saying anything and I could just hear people weeping on the bus. Because friends, but for the grace of God, that's, that's, that's our kids. And, and, and we were going back, and George, this Russian pastor, turned to me. He said, Rob, he said, can we go to one more hospital? And I said, George, I said, it's really late. I said, this team is exhausted. I said, we've got one more day in the schools tomorrow, and then we, we've got to go home. And, and he'd always been very soft-spoken, very quiet, but he, he actually took my hand, and he said, Rob, he said, please, can we go to one more hospital? And I said, well, George, if it's that important, I said, yeah, we, we, we will. He turned the bus around, we headed the other way. He began to explain, he said, the place where we're going is the largest mental institution in the communist world. And he said, it's a ward for children. And he, he said, I believe this is where communism is the strongest. These psychiatrists believed that through, their, through, through what they believed that they could somehow alter the minds of these kids and make them better. And, and he says, we don't, we don't even have permission to go into this place. So we pulled up outside and he went in to speak to the director and we began to intercede on the bus. And, he came back out several moments later. He said, I spoke to the director. He's going to allow us to come in because the mayor has invited you to the city. But he said, we, we cannot speak to any of the children. All we can do is, is put the Book of Hope on the bedstand tables and we have to leave as quickly as possible. I said, that'd be fine. I got out of the bus and I went up the, the, the stairs and the moment I went through the doors of that institution, I felt a spiritual darkness and oppression come over me like I've never experienced in my life. And I grew up in the Muslim world. I know what darkness is. But this was something so evil and so demonic. And the team began to feel what it was. It was this 70 years of oppression. And then we began to hear noises go into the rooms and see these kids. Many of them were restrained so they couldn't hurt themselves. Some of them were crying out. They were, they were oppressed. And we couldn't even talk to the kids, but we began to take God's word. We began to set it on those bedstand tables. But inside of our spirit, we began to do war for that place. We began to come against 70 years of bondage and oppression and depression in that place. And, and as we were praying for those kids, God began to break our hearts. I was, and, and tears were just 
coming down my cheeks as I, I came out of one of the last rooms. I was headed down to the hallway to the last room, and, and I looked up, and my eyes met the eyes of the director, this communist psychiatrist. And he had this puzzled look on his face, and, and he stopped me, and he said, Sir, he said, the room where you're going into is where our most serious cases are. He said, these kids have been here for a long time, and I've been able to do nothing with them. He said, I can't help but notice how much you people seem to love our children. He said, I hear there are some spiritual people with you. He said, would it be possible for them to pray with the children that are in this room? And I said, sir, that's why, that's why we came here today. That's why we came. I went in and I saw the 30 most depraved kids I'd ever seen in my life. These kids were between the ages of 13 and 18 years old. Their bodies were twisting and writhing around. They were crying out, almost like they were uncontrollable. I asked the, the team that was with me to form a circle around those kids, and we just began to, to reach out and lay hands on them and pray for them in the name of Jesus. And for about 15 minutes, we were interceding over those kids, and the noise level was so loud. And, and after about 15 minutes, something just rose up inside of me. I just, I just cried out. I said, Lord, you are the Prince of Peace. God, bring your, bring your peace to this place. And it wasn't but a couple minutes later, it was like a wind that came over our backs and God's presence, his peace began to fall on us in that room. And if you don't believe in spiritual warfare, let me vouch for you, it is the realest thing there is in this world. And as God's presence began to fill that room, everything began to change. I noticed the boy I'd been grow, uh, praying for, he, he began to grow still. I noticed the noise level in the room began to come down. I opened up my eyes to see that out of these, out of these kids who were oppressed and, and depressed and possessed, that tears were flowing down their cheeks as they felt the presence of their heavenly father for the first time in their lives. And his presence began to fill that place. And, and I looked over and I saw George, the Russian pastor. He was over in the corner. He was huddled over a boy I found out later was 13. And, and this pastor, his body, it was, it, it was, he was just weeping uncontrollably. It was like his body was shaking as he was praying. And, 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 and I thought to myself, he looks strange. He looks bizarre. And, and the Lord spoke to me and said, Rob, that's how I feel. That's how I feel about all of my children who've never had a chance to know who I am. And I moved over to where that pastor was, and I, I laid my hands on his back as he was praying. And it seemed like I prayed for such a long time. And, and finally, he, he looked up and noticed I was there. And he said, Rob, he said, you don't even know why I brought you here today. But he said, this boy is my son. And for the first time in my life, I've been able to pray with my boy. And man, the Spirit of God just fell on me. And the Lord said, Rob, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men and boys and girls and men and women so that they can see who I am. In West Pines, Jesus is waiting for us to be salt and to be light. To be salt in this world that has lost all of its savor. To be light in a place that is in such darkness. And maybe you're here this morning, or maybe you're watching online, and you'd say, Rob, I, I don't even know if I'm in the city. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ into your heart as Lord and Savior. Friend, I've got good news for you this morning. Jesus is at the gate of the kingdom. His arms are open wide. He's saying, come. Come to me. Come to me. I'll forgive you of all your sins. I'll give you a new life. I'll give you an abundant life. I'll give you an eternal life. And Jesus is waiting this morning. Heavenly Father, your, 
Your, your, your presence is so rich in this place this morning. And Lord, I, I pray that if there's anyone that's watching, if there's anyone that's here in this sanctuary this morning, and just in the stillness of this moment, Lord, they would be honest and, and, and maybe, maybe they've never asked you to come into their heart or, or maybe they did a long time ago, but Lord, it's, they've drifted away from you. And you'd say, Rob, I don't even know. I don't even know if I'm in the kingdom. I want you to know Jesus is waiting for you this morning. His desire is that you would drink of this living water, maybe for the first time, or maybe drink of it again. And if that's you this morning and you're here, I, I, just, I just want to pray for you. And I, I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. It's so simple. All you have to do is, is to pray this with me now and just say, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Lord, give me a new life. Lord, fill my heart with your love this morning. Lord, I receive and accept you into my life. Jesus, I'm yours this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I want you to know you're in the kingdom of God right now. You don't have to hope or wish. You are in the kingdom of God this morning. And maybe you're here this morning and like me, you've been a believer maybe your whole life or you know Jesus, you're in the kingdom of God this morning, but you feel called this morning to a fresh new vision. I wanna pray for you, West Pines, this morning. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for every individual that calls themselves a believer of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would look over the walls this morning. I pray, Lord, that uh, starting from this very moment, that, that this church would have a greater zeal to, to usher people into the, into the good news of Jesus Christ. Whoever you are right now, I pray that you're receiving a vision for your school, for your workplace, for your neighborhood, for Broward County, maybe even for this world. Maybe you're a young person and God's gonna call you this morning to reach the world in a far off place. I don't know what God is calling you to, but just open up your heart this morning and say, Lord, give me a vision this morning. Lord, touch me fresh and new to reach those who've never heard. Lord, I pray that, 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 that my brothers and sisters this morning would realize that the doors are open that you are in front of us, Lord. You're the ones that's opening. We can't open any door, but Lord, no door can be closed to you this morning. And Lord, open the doors this morning. Open the doors to West Pine in this area, in this community, Lord. I pray that this church would usher in more people into the kingdom of God this year than any year in the history of this church, I pray, Lord. And Father, I pray that we would see the hunger and thirst of all those around us, those that are desperate for you, those that, Lord, need you so desperately this morning. Oh God, break our heart for the lost this morning. And Lord, let us realize that they're waiting for that fountain of living water this morning, oh God. And Lord, I pray that faith would now arise in our hearts. Faith to believe that, that you can do anything, Lord. Faith to believe that no matter how incompetent or, or insecure we are this morning, Lord, if you call us to something, you will empower us to do it. And Lord, I pray that faith would arise in our hearts. And I thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives today. I thank you that your, that your word is ministered to us. I thank you, Lord, that we have a fresh new vision from you. And we pray all these things in the great and mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954 432 0321. 
or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.